Cast Ball Show. Brought to you by JohnPLE.com. What the f*** do you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f***ing Put that in. I don't So the Tribe drops its third straight on this trip. Six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I'm talking about the past. I'm talking about the history. I'm talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we talk about. I would say I would know, but I would say the reason why they want to pass is baseball going into the highest baseball sport that has gone into baseball. And from the baseball angle, I'm not going to speak of any other sport. Let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember it's not a lie if you believe it. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And this, he sucks. Well, he is out. He's out. Yes, sir. He is out. Look at, look at this. Flint is out. And uh, David Mack. I'm not here to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. It's been run cleaner than any baseball business ever put out in the hundred years of the time. Sell the team. Hour two of the radio program. Appreciate you guys sticking in there, giving me a couple minutes of your time. Of course, this is the Passball Show right here on the MTR Radio Network. Don't forget, download the iPhone and Android apps. You could get MTR Radio. Take us with you wherever you're going. The next interview I'm going to get into, like I said, this past weekend, I had a chance to spend some time in Pennsylvania. Had a chance to speak with a left-hand pitcher that pitched for the Philadelphia Athletics in 1956 and 1958, and his name is Carl Dozer. A couple interesting things about him. Two years in the major leagues, like I just said. A couple games, three games total in his career. Was a teammate of Tommy Lasorda in 1956. A teammate of Roger Maris in 1958. Got in an auto accident in 1958 that essentially ended his career at age 26, played in the 1958 Caribbean World Series for Team Panama. Hopefully you guys enjoy this spot. Former Major League pitcher Carl Dozer. Yelly here taking a pass ball show on the road again, and right now I'm, I'm joined by former Major League pitcher Carl Dozer. Carl, thanks for having a couple minutes. Oh, glad that you could come. What tricks do you have? Are you a potential help? Yeah. Bernie, he said, recording here. That's all right. I could always edit this. I'll take it out. But I'll start, I'll start with a clean question. That picks up our voices. So I, when he's talking for the next 10 minutes, I won't talk. <laughs> and it's like the only 10 minutes he's not going to talk like ever. <laughs> Hi, uh, Carl. You, you know, you of course came you came up through the Philadelphia athletic system. What is what is your earliest baseball memory? You know, either either professional wise or maybe even before that. My earliest memory of what uh, involving baseball. You know, well, like, I was, was always uh, well, ever since I was a kid. I always followed baseball, and my favorite team was. The Red Sox, because uh, well, I idolized Ted Williams, and to me, was the greatest hitter there is in baseball. And, uh, I played uh, well ever since I'm six years old. I played baseball, so I was lucky enough to be good enough to get signed uh, with Philadelphia, and that was in '50. Well, that was in '50 when they signed me, but then I went into the service and then came out, and then I started my pro career in 54. 
No, I tell you, one thing that's interesting, and I always like to ask this question, you know, being being in the service, you know, playing before and then coming back afterwards, how difficult was the trans transition? Was it for you to get back in the, in the game, or did you play while you were in the service? I played uh, while I was in the service uh, my last uh, year and a half, so I was, well, of course, professional ball was new to everybody, but I adapted pretty quick. Uh, because my first year I was in B-ball and then I jumped to AAA the next year and was with Kansas City uh, for a while in 56. They called me up at the end of the year. Now your, your Major League debut, which took place in 1956, do you remember if it was a home game or an away game? It was at home against the Washington Senators. Okay, what, what, what comes to your mind with it? Was, were, were, there, were there nerves going through your mind? Oh, or yeah. did you kind of just pitch it as another game? No, the first, uh, I'd say batter or two, and then you settle down and you say, hey, it's, you're making a living doing it. Just do what you have to do and do what you've been doing, and I'll be all right. And it worked out pretty good for me. Yeah, absolutely. And once again, John Fialli here with Carl Duzer. Now, you know, you, you know, you spend another year in the minors, you come back in 1958, after 1958 season, if I'm not mistaken, if I had the day wrong, I apologize, you end, no, up, no get, end up getting in a car accident. They're coming, I was playing in the Pacific Coast League and they recalled me back to Kansas City and uh, unfortunately a guy hit me head on and uh, a fellow hood came through a windshield and wrecked my knee up. And, uh, uh, they, well, of course, Kansas City says, well, what are you going to do? So I said, well, I don't know. I said, uh, they said, look, go down. How did I said, well, I have, something's wrong. I said, but uh, they said, told me to go to Albany, New York, and see what's going on. The, and I was in Albany, and, and it's just that uh, I ended up, they told me to make arrangements down Walter Reed to get an operation on sure. my knee. And in those days, uh, a guy told me, he said, we can't guarantee you nothing. He said, uh, maybe it, it might be worse than when you have, you have the operations. So I decided to retire. I thought I was 20, I was only 27, but I said, well, I'm not taking a chance. Now, did you end up having an, having an operation on your knee? You no. needed to see you decide not to have it done. Yeah. I just decided not to have it done. And, uh, I can I could get around on it but pitching or playing oh, yeah, absolutely you know. yeah, if there's something like that that needs that needs yeah. a procedure it's, it's going to be hard to do anything yeah. like that in the 50s uh, you know it's not like today you go you took a lot of chances as far as operations were concerned well, I'll tell you if you look back to today and like you just touched on if if there's there's the procedures are so much more and nothing's guaranteed of course but there's so the, the probability of a successful recovery is a lot better than it would have been back then mm -hmm. you know would you have had the operation let's say if it happened at a time like now or maybe technology had been a little more advanced in 1958? Well, I probably would today even take the chance because uh, like I tore the ligaments away from my knee and. 
and today they seem to be able to do the job with this thing, but in those days they uh, they just didn't, uh, just couldn't do the work that I wanted them to do. Yeah, and then you never know how you come out. I mean, I think your class would just, you know, just be able to walk away at that yeah. moment. If I would have been 21 or 22 at the time, I might have taken the chance, but I was, like I say, about 27. I thought, well, how could I, how long would it take for me to get back to the major leagues if I did start, you know? Absolutely. A couple more, a couple more baseball questions. You had a chance to be be a teammate of both Tommy Lasorda and Roger Maris at one point in your career. Yeah. What 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 comes to your mind when you think of those players and you think of your experience playing with them? Oh, Tommy. Oh, Tommy was funny. <laughs> He, well, Tommy, whenever he had something to say, he would say it, and he was a competitor, though. He, you got to go out and beat Tommy. He wasn't going to uh, lead you to you know, beat himself. you got to beat him. And Roger, he was he was my roommate in Kansas City, and, and, and uh, Roger, a quiet back, a little backward, but just quiet and real nice guy. And, Surprisingly, when they traded him to the Yankees there, he hit 60 home runs, which well, I was glad it happened, or 61, or whatever it was, but uh, a lot of people say, well, hey, the man hit 61 home runs, and to me, it's still the record. I don't believe uh, in this baseball that went by with McGuire and yeah. the others, uh, not with uh, taking stuff. Yeah, so a lot of people, a lot of people agree with your judgment on that. Um, in regards to Roger Maris, you think, uh, you know, you, did you did you follow him pretty closely? You know, in 1961, when he when he had a home run chase. Um, I went down to see a couple of games in Yankee Stadium, and then especially then my buddy Ralph Gary went down there. In fact, they used to call us the Yankee Force. Just oh yeah, yeah, that was, was going to be my next question, believe it or not. In fact. They did, uh, when uh, I was in Kansas City in the beginning of 58, they sent me to uh, Denver, which is a Yankee. They made some kind of a trade with sent me there with my buddy Ryan Doran. Yeah. I don't remember Ryan. Yeah. He was he was a little too. But uh, the original wild thing. Oh, he he had glasses that looked like Coke bottles, and uh, but Ryan and didn't know he could throw hard. Nelly Fox, I remember in Chicago, Nelly Fox was up to, uh, the next hitter. Juan was warming up. He threw one ball and hit the backstop. Next up, he had his glasses down by the mound. He's reaching for him. Little Nelly Fox runs out. And he, I hit him all the fishy to face you with your glasses on. He had some good times. No, absolutely. Now, you know, you know, you had a chance to play in the big leagues for a couple seasons, but you also had a chance to spend some time playing in the minor leagues. Um, to put it all together in a, in a box, telling it back to me, was there any one moment that stood out to you that you, you thought, you, you thought, hey, this number one is greatness, or this is just what's happened now is so great that I'll never forget it? Well, it's an experience. Uh, I enjoyed, I just enjoyed playing baseball in those days. You played baseball. Uh, in those days, you wanted to play, and uh, to me, it's a little different game today. The situation with the ball players and the owners and the money, but uh, I think ball players in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 
they played, they didn't make the kind of money that they're making today. And uh, you, you came there, you went to work. Today, uh, I don't know. It doesn't seem that uh, they're more as involved as, uh, in the, as they should be with the game. It seems they have other things on the side that they rather do than play ball, you know. But no, I, I thought the statement hopefully is, is something you agree with. You know, now, now with the amount of money that's getting paid out there, it's become more of a job. And back, you know, when you played earlier, and even a little bit after you played, the game was played because because of the love and the passion. And you, you probably may, may may or may not be one of the group of athletes that say, I would play the game for nothing or next to nothing just because I love playing the game. You don't see that so much anymore now. No, and you can't blame the ball players. And it's become a business. That's really what it's as a million or whatever it is. <laughs> Take it, why not? But uh, uh, well, there was only eight teams in the American League and eight in the National League when we played. And with this expansion and that, you could well, that was great that it gave other uh, ball players an opportunity to get to the major leagues. But uh, it uh, was something where I see these ball players today getting two ten, two fifteen, making three, four million dollars. Yeah. And and when you had eight teams in them either league, uh, when you got there, you, you were in the major league. Well, exactly. I mean, and you know a player that's going to perform at that level isn't going to stick around. Uh, and today, uh, I just think uh, with all these expansions that. You're still seeing some great, great baseball, but it isn't as competitive, uh, I don't think, as it was in those days when you had eight teams uh, in the league. Yeah, very true. Once again, John Pielli here with former Major League pitcher Carl Dozer. Now, you know, in 1958, you also got to play in the Caribbean Series for, for Panama. Yes. You know, if you can, just tell, tell, us, tell us a little bit about that and the experience, and maybe compare the game then in, let's say, the Caribbean Series to the way it is now or is after you played in that. Well, then uh, they left uh, each team bring so many, many American ballplayers down there, and it's... Well, it was better than me say going to work with a lunch pail than than uh, throwing a baseball. So you know, I enjoyed it. It was something different. It was good baseball, and yeah, the people treated you real nice, and uh, you met a lot of uh, different uh, ball players uh, as far as down there, like. Well, Hector Lopez was from the visitor. Hector, I played with Hector down there. I guess he helped get me down there that's, uh, that year. But uh, it's not as competitive, of course, as professional ball. But it was just a relief to go down there and uh, you know, just keep in shape. And you only had to pitch once a week, so yeah, that, was, that was great. Uh, that's good, man. And, you know, of course, you, know, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you, you grew up kind of idolizing or looking up to Ted Williams. Did you have the opportunity to face him either, you know, yeah, in, just, in one, just once in, uh, in Kansas City when they were out there. And he didn't do too good against me. He only hit a double. But, uh, <laughs> no, he, I just admire the man. And uh, I met him in spring training where... Uh, I just, it was my rookie year of uh, spring training, we're playing Boston, and after the game, their clubhouse was 
uh, over there, but their training room, they didn't have none for visitors. He had to go through their clubhouse into the training room, and his locker was right by the training room. I went by, and I said, hello, Mr. Williams. He looked, hey, kid, wait. He says, my name's Teddy. He says, what's your name? He says, he said, I saw you throwing today. He said, you're going to be all right. You hang in there. He says, you're going to be pretty good. I said, well, thank you. I, he said, well, how comes he, he said, what were you doing? I said, well, I just got out of the service. Oh, you were in the Korean War. He said, oh, he said, yeah. I said, no, I know you were. And he said, well, it's nice to meet you. I said, it was my pleasure. And <laughs> hey, what about what about Mickey now? You ever get a chance to face him? No, no. Just screen training. Just screen training. training, yeah. But him and, like, Billy Martin and I played in the service together. That's how I know Billy. I got out uh, a year before him, and then, of course, he went to the Yankees. And he was, Billy was some type of a guy, too. He was loose, still, but nice guy. Hey, last point I want to bring up, once again, John Fiala here with Carl Dozer. You know, we mentioned before about the Philadelphia Athletics, how it almost seemed like it was a, a farm club to the New York Yankees. Was that evident when you played within the clubhouse? Was that something that was knowledge or, or thought of or suspicion from the players that the better players were going to end up going to the Yankees at some point? No. Um, you know, that was more or less, I don't know, if it's through the media or just people. But you went there, you played for Kansas City or whatever team. Mm-hmm. You didn't think about, well, geez, I hope the Yankees uh, pick me up. <laughs> no, no. You, you went out to play with the team that you were playing for. And if it happened, hey, you could go to anywhere. But the same, the Yankees picked up a lot of uh, our ball players. I know. After I left, I got hurt, I know. Well, Dittmeyer went over, Shantz went over, uh, Roger went over, uh, Ralph Terry went over. They got about uh, six of our starters. And, and they, I guess they were happy. Hey, they got up to the World Series, I guess. The, well, uh, Ralph, I, I was sorry to see Mazeroski hit that home run off him, but he did. <laughs> Hey, it happens, and I tell you, you know, the, the athletics in the, in the 70s almost tried to do it again with Charlie Finley, and, you know, it's a couple of the trades that, that were, were, were out there proposed to the Yankees ended up being shut, you know, shut down by Bowie Kuhn, and, you know, it, I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting the way a lot of stuff like that ends up going on, but, you know, before I let you go, what, um, you know, what did you end up getting into after you, after you finished playing baseball? Oh, I, uh... Well, of course, I had Bethlehem Steel here, and where I'm here, and I I worked in the sales department in Bethlehem Steel. Uh, well, I went to well, different places and with uh, different customers to try to sell our product. And after that, uh, of course, the steel company folded. I, you know, doing what I do now. I manage a, a private club here in Bethlehem. Uh, oh God, for the next last. 25 years, and I like doing it. Uh, hey, even as old as I am, it's, it's involved about uh, maybe a two hours of work, and, I, and it's in the morning. It gets me a little relief from uh, the wife. She's happy to get rid of me for a couple hours, and and then I come in. And I really enjoy doing it. That's all. And that's about what happened to me as far as after baseball. Uh, I did miss what I was felt bad about, or 
as you need it. And, and those may, I think they still probably pay for a pension plan. And uh, and they took, I didn't forget there was an amount that they took off every pay. I think it was only something like $2 a day or something, rather. Yeah. But uh, <clears throat> you have to have five years in the major leagues to collect yeah. a pension. And with my service and with up and down with them, I was only about, uh, four months short and then they recalled me from uh, the Pacific Coast League and you know in those days if you didn't come play ball and that was it go home and yeah, sure. done but I can't complain I would have a chance that many of um, uh, ball players didn't uh, and well wanted to go to the major leagues or play professional ball and they didn't but I was fortunate enough to uh, get up to the top for a little while anyway yeah, that's awesome. Listen, Carl, I want to thank you for having some time, and of course, thank you for allowing me in your home, and best of luck to you know, everything you're doing. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. Fantastic chance to catch up with Carl Dozer. A lot of different experiences. He talks about ch- having a chance to play with Tommy Lasorda, with Roger Maris, being part of the Caribbean Series in 1958. Obviously, you know, was part of the you know United States military. And, uh, you know, obviously a, a guy that had a chance to pitch in the major leagues. But John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. We're going to take a little break. We're going to come back with former Philly standout pitcher Kurt Simmons, uh, an interview recorded live from his house this past weekend. Once again, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network, back after this. Hey, I'm Sean Big Daddy Lynch. I'm Joe Delisanti. And I'm Tim O'Brien. And, and we're your favorite tailgaters. Listen to our show every Tuesday morning from 11 to 12 on NTR Radio. We'll tempt your palate with football, basketball, baseball, hockey, you name it, we got it. That's right, we do. We'll stir things up, voice what's grinding our gears, and just talk plain sports. We hold nothing back. Sports Talk Radio, are you ready for the tailgaters? Hey guys and gals, want to have a great time dining out while watching your favorite sport on HDTV? Then come on down to Hooters of Princeton, New Jersey, located on Route 1 South in Trenton in the Mercer Mall. Hi, I'm Deja. And I'm Corey. These are great deals all week, bound to whet your appetite and satisfy your hunger. Check out our Monday Mondays, where you can have a delicious cheeseburger and fries for only $6.99. On Tuesdays, we have all-you-can-eat wings all day, just $12.99 per person or $10.99 for boneless. On Wednesdays, you can get 10 boneless wings and an order of fries for just $6.99. On Saturday, kids eat free for every meal ordered by an accompanying adult, and the meals are served on Frisbee. We have half-price appetizers from 10 p.m. until close every day. You can then enjoy your cold draft beer with our mouth-watering crab clusters for only $5. Remember, we are located in Trenton on Route 1 South in the Mercer Mall, just south of Quaker Bridge Road. For any information, call us at 609-520-WING. That's 609-520-9464. So come on in and watch your favorite football team while having a great meal, served up by the nicest and the hottest girls anywhere. Hope to see you there!
Welcome back, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. And now I'm going to get into the interview that I really enjoyed having this weekend with former Major League pitcher Kurt Simmons. And, you know, a lot of great stories about Kurt as he was a phenom at the age of 17, actually pitched for his, his high school against the Philadelphia Phillies team as a way to kind of get a little bit of a tryout for them to take a look at him. And, you know, the game ended up being a tie score, and he struck out 11 major league hitters in that game at age 17. Obviously, it results with the Philadelphia Phillies signing him. And the rest is history, a guy who ended up spending several years in the major leagues, about 18 years with the Phillies and then the St. Louis Cardinals, was part of the 1950 team, the Whiz Kids, uh, that made it to the World Series and lost to the New York Yankees. Unfortunately, he didn't get the pitch in the series because he was on assignment in the military. He was drafted, and he, he couldn't be with the team. But 1964, he's part of the St. Louis Cardinals team that wins the World Series obviously beats the Phillies, a team that had given up on them just about four seasons before. Uh, was certainly an integral part of that St. Louis Cardinal team that won the World Series and is always going to be renowned and known as a great baseball player and pitcher in the history of the Philadelphia Phillies franchise. So hopefully you guys enjoy this spot with former Major League pitcher Kurt Simmons. Yelly here, and we're continuing our past ball show on a road tour, and I'm now joined at the hot home of longtime Phillies pitcher, Kurt Simmons. Kurt, thanks for having a couple minutes, and thanks for allowing me in your home. Good to, good to see you guys. And, of course, uh, you know, Kurt, you know, your your ability to throw a baseball was known at, at, a, at a pretty young age. I mean, even up as you were touted as a, as a, as a young pitcher. Um, within your own mind, when did you first discover that you had a talent at being able to throw a baseball as a pitcher? Uh, I don't know. I, you know, I started out uh, with Copy Legion, and I was playing first base, and, and I think one day they needed a relief pitcher, and I came in and I, I pitched and got him out. And even in high school, like old high school, I, I, I come in from, I played first base mostly, and, uh, and I come in and pitch relief. And I was in my, my freshman year, and then after that, I, I said, well, you're, I pitched, and then I, I played first base. I, I was a pretty good hitter in high school anyway, in <laughs> top of the region, but uh, not, not, not in the pros anyway. And then, you know, of course, you end up, uh, you know, being you know pretty pretty touted. The Phillies end up offering you a contract. You know, prior to that, there were many teams that were were interested in your services. At the time that you signed with the Phillies, you you signed for the largest bonus at the time, which you know obviously was a big deal. Right, right. Well, the the Phillies were after me. Cy Morgan was a scout in Allentown, and he uh, he'd been after he'd been touting me and he'd given the Families during the Second World War. He's given my my mother and my sisters nylon stockings. They couldn't get nylon stockings. <laughs> and, and, and tickets to the Eagles game, and, and he did every little thing he could do. But now it comes. Uh, I'm getting ready to graduate from high school, and uh, he he said, "How about we bring the Phillies up to play your team?" You know, and. And he's talking to my father now, and he says, "And we'll have your your kid pitch." Yeah. Yeah. And my dad said, "Yeah, bring him on." You know. Well, no, I, I'm I'm a shy guy. I'm not I'm not saying nothing. I said, "I'm pitching." Okay, whatever. So I pitched. I struck out 11 guys. We should have won the game. They came to Egypt to stink. Wow. And and, uh, and of course the the. Uh, it, was, it ended up four-four tie. It was our two guys ran together in the outfield because they scored a run or two on that, and and it ended up four-four. We should have beat them, but anyway. So that, but after that game, that's when the Phillies, the, the, the Detroit 
bid like 50,000 and Red, the Red Sox were in there with 55 or whatever. So we told, uh, my dad told the Phillies, we'll give you the last shot because you guys are coming up and don't uh, load up. Hey, and, uh, so uh, uh, we said, uh, or my father said, we'll, we'll sign for 65,000. And, and they said, okay, well, and that's what happened. Yeah, so but, uh, but now if I pitch and get, my, get smacked around pretty good, which would be kind of normal for a kid to do against a big league team, I thought it would have been offered maybe 5000 or something like that. Yeah. Who knows? But anyway, so I was lucky, and I, and I, I pitched good, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, that's, that's, how the, that's how the bonus money got, was way up, because I remember Robin Roberts, he said, man, I only got 25000 How the heck did you get 65000 I said, I had a good agent. Man. My father worked in the cement mill. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, I was just lucky with, with, the, with the way that things worked out. Yeah, I tell you, you end up, you know, you'd be, you'd be lucky enough, uh, and you know, I'm just trying, trying to picture it to the way like society is now with all the extra media coverage and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. And I'm picturing if there's if there is a Kurt Simmons that goes and they decide that he's going to pitch against a major league team. Yeah. Imagine all the media coverage and everybody following that. And you probably, I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, people knew who you were at the time. But just imagine in that spot. I mean, you probably wouldn't be able to get around anywhere now. You know, having that type of label on you, being so young and having proven so much in, in such a short time. You've got, you got to remember now, this is 1947, no television, exactly. no little leagues. I mean, uh, I mean, maybe the Phillies had maybe two writers with them or whatever. Yeah, exactly. You know, so anyway, so it, it was, uh, you know, I mean, I'm from this, uh, that's six up in Egypt, PA. Nobody knows where it is if you, unless you're from the Lehigh Valley, you know. So anyway, so it was it, a lot of different uh, uh, situation there. Now, of course, when you you know, ended up pitching, you were, I, I believe uh, some of the bonus baby rules applied. So you were you had to be up in the major leagues by a certain time. If I'm yeah, not I, I could, they could. They sent me to Wilmington the first year. Uh, Wilmington Blue Rocks Class B League. I was like 15 and and uh, eight something like that. I pitched pretty good there. And then they had to bring me up because of the bonus yeah. bonus player, and they had to keep me. And keep me, or or some, or they could have, other teams could have drafted me or whatever. Yeah, 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 exactly. me up. yeah. So that that was the rules to keep the teams from from spending too much money on all all these kids. You know. Yeah, and then yeah, you you bring you bring in a kid, and you have to obviously have to make it an investment to your team, and being on a roster, even if you're not 100 percent an impact player right away, you know, allows them to be able to stockpile, let's say, you know, a group of players that they're just paying for because that was before the draft system. Right. Right. Yeah, you could you could only you couldn't do it too much. That's that slowed them down where they couldn't they couldn't go out and spend all that money. And uh, I don't know I don't know what the what the maximum was on on the bonus rule at the time, but it it wasn't that high, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Once again, Jaffiali here with a long time major league pitcher Kurt Simmons. Now, you, know, you end up uh, establishing yourself on the Philly staff, and then you know the 1950 season comes, and it's you know obviously significant in the history of the Philadelphia Phillies organization. Prior prior to that, just 1915 was the only other pennant that the team had won, and they would not win another pennant, if I'm not mistaken, until 1980 when they end up winning the World Series. So obviously, a, a, a franchise that had struggled to, at the very least, win pennants. The 1950 season comes, a very good group of young players that were all playing together, coming up at the same time, first on the scene, and his team wins a pennant. Take us back to the 1950 season 
and what allowed everything that was going on together to gel so well. Right. Well, it's hard to know, really, but, you know, there was, like you say, a lot of young guys, Ashburn came up, and Jones Hammer, all those guys were young guys. Semenik was a little older, he was about 28 or whatever at the time, but, hey, we just, and, and the years before that, 48, 49, I was lousy, I was wild, a wild left-hander walked a lot of guys, and, uh, and they'd get me in trouble. So, 1950, I started getting the ball over, and I started pitching well, you know, because I was throwing real good, and wasn't, I wasn't worried about them hitting me, I had just had to throw strikes, you know, and stuff, so. Uh, so anyway, with Roberts, and then uh, Roberts, he was, he was pitching great, and Roberts and myself, and then uh, I'm trying to remember, we had Bob Miller, who was, who was doing well, and, uh, and, uh, and of course Jim Constanti, he won 15 games that year as a, as a relief pitcher. Yeah, he was the idea. Relief wasn't, he wasn't a closer, he'd come in whenever. Yeah. He might pitch three innings or whatever. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, he pitched something like about 160 or 170 innings. Well, he won 15 games, so, and we, obviously we, we scored a lot the last several innings, so he so could win those games. Anyway, everybody, like I said, everybody gelled and uh, we just hung in there. But then, uh, in, in early September, I was uh, Bob Carpenter, our owner. He said, "I want you kids to join the National Guard so you beat the peacetime draft." They were drafting kids, 18, 19, uh, and I had a peacetime draft, and then he didn't want me to get drafted. So, so I said, "Join the National Guard." And so we. We had to listen to him. So yeah, yeah, anyway, so said. come 1950, I'm in, I'm an Indian town We had to go out there for two weeks uh, training, and we got there about three days. And they called us in, said you got 30 days to get your affairs in order, and you're in the army. So, so that's how I got into the army. So now come April, April, I mean, I'm so sorry, September 5th, I think. I was in the Army. I, the first week we spent at the Armory in, in Philadelphia, and then they shipped us out to Indiana. But So I, I missed three weeks. But anyway, so now we had a pretty good lead, and Roberts, of course, was doing great, and I was pitching good. I go in the Army. Bob Miller, I don't know if he hurt his arm back or something. He, and Bob at Church, he was the other guy who was a pitcher, and he got hit with a line drive by... Ted Kozuski in those days, and big, big, strong guy. Yeah, and got he, got him, he got hit right in the eye. But, uh, in fact, that was an Indian town guy when he got hit, I think. But he was out for a year. So the Roberts pitched every, maybe every third day down the stretch. Uh, and uh, and that's why Jim Constanti started the first game of the World Series. So. Yeah, very interesting. Anyway, yeah, and of course, you know, because uh, you know, because of your, you know, your commitments with the, you know, with, with the army, you were unable to pitch in the World Series. Right. They were they were trying to get me out. They kept telling me, the family secretary said, "Don't worry, we're going to get you out." Mr. Carpenter's working on it. The lawyer working on it. I said, "Okay, good." And they weren't letting anybody out, especially me. It was a, a name, whatever, and because. Uh, Everybody was trying to get out. We were a National Guard group, a lot of politicians and whatever. Nobody wanted to get in the Army. You know? Anyway, so uh, three days before, or a day before the series, they called me in to the general, General Strickland. I remember I, I, did, I didn't even salute when I went in there. I was a rookie. And he said, we'll give you a 10-day leave without pay if you want it. 
I said, yeah, I'll take it, sure. And so that's how I got, I got, I got the, at least to the World Series pitch batting practice and then wasn't eligible to pitch. They already had the roster set up. They had it set it up three days ahead of time and whatever. But so I, I was there, but I couldn't, I couldn't pitch. And so were, were you actually in uniform? Were you able to, were you able to I, sit I, on the bench I, part I, of the team I, at least? No, I, I couldn't. Once, you, you couldn't have any extra guys in, in uniform. Oh, okay. I, I, I was, I, I had my army suit on, and, and I, but I pitched batting practice. So I had my uniform, and then of course, but, but that's all I could do, you know. No, that's that's a shame, man. I thought you yeah, know it was yeah, such a yeah. such a big season for the Phillies, and you know, you, you know, looking back all these years later, I'm sure you wonder how 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 the uh, series could have turned out if you you had a chance. Yeah, except we they nailed us down. Their, their pitching was tough, and we. Uh, we, obviously, we weren't hitting that well, or, or the pitching made it that way, you know. Yeah. But they had some tough guys pitching. And once again, John Fialli here with longtime Phillies and eventual Cardinals pitcher Kurt Simmons. Uh, you know, through, throughout the 1950s, you know, it was you, pretty much you and Robin Roberts, kind of anchoring that rotation. Um, what, what were, what, what did, what did you feel? You know, looking back on that, on that pitching staff, did, did you feel throughout the whole times because of the two of you, because of let's say the other guys you mentioned, like you know the Bob Millers and other guys that came around later on? Uh, did, did you guys feel like year in and year out you compete with any team in the National League? I don't know. You know, we we, we had a great year in '50, and and after that. Uh, we didn't, we didn't do well. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it had the, everybody had a, a, an outstanding year, and then the next year they didn't. Of course, I wasn't there, but that, that was only one guy. But but nobody did well, and then I came back in '52, uh, beginning of the season, and we we were just a a, a pretty good ball club. We, you know, the Dodgers took over. I think they were they were yeah, tough. It was, it was pretty much the Dodgers and, in the '50s, you know, the little thousand the Giants. You know, the old reserve clause. You if you sign with a team. They owned you, yeah. You know? And of course, the Dodgers, they had they had all the, all the good players, and the, they were tough, you know. But uh, we got lucky, and we we uh, beat them the last day. Roberts Roberts beat them the last day of the season. Uh, yeah, and, very true. Anyway, so it was. Uh, but we just we just leveled off. I think maybe what happened, and they started trading a few guys and whatever. We, we never really got back to contention, really. Anyway, of course, you end up, you know, having a lot of success, particularly after you come back from the service. Yeah, 1952, you get to start the All-Star game, you know, at Shy Park right. against Vic Rashi. Now, tell us a little bit about that experience, because obviously the All-Star game, you know, you know, with, within your within your own town that you're playing for, a chance in front of your own fans, and you know, there you are. Right. Well, uh, I remember I. I uh, the Rocher was a manager, I think, with the Giants, I don't know, the Giants part of it. Yeah. But I, I came to the park, and I'm, obviously I came late because they, they were having a meeting. They said, where the hell you been, Simmons, you know? And he said, you're, you're pitching because Roberts usually pitched the game, and he, he had just pitched, and he said, let Kurt pitch, you know? Yeah. So so anyway, I he said, all right, Simmons, just get the ball over, will you? You know, and anyway, so I pitched, I started the game first three innings, and I pitched, I, pitched, I shut him out. I was, I pitched good, you know, and uh, and that's what happened. We, uh, but, but it, 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 it started raining in the fourth inning, I think, yeah. and and uh, it was raining in the, in the, in the fifth inning. They finished five innings, and they said, game's off. I mean, it was a pouring, you know, they, they couldn't, they're lucky to even pitch the last, I mean, the last inning was, 
it was pouring pretty good, you know. Yeah. And they just, uh, that was a game, you know. So we, we ended up winning, I think, I don't know, 3-0 three, three or 3-1 or something. But I didn't get the win because nobody scored it. But, uh, the first three innings. So. You ended up having a chance to pitch in two more All-Star games. Did that ever? Did that ever become old for you, or were you still were you still able to look at the experience and say, hey, at least yeah, I'm getting The second uh, second World Series game, I think, it was Cincinnati. I pitched pretty good there. I was I didn't start in in '57. I started the game in there in St. Louis, and and I I had kind of a semi. Sore arm, not, not not really sore, but I wasn't thrown like I did, you know, earlier. But and uh, and and I, I I walked Ted Williams on a on a, a two two pitch. I had a, I had a strike, and they called a ball free, you know. And, and I I thought uh, the guys said the umpire they, they they said if if Williams takes it it's the ball he's got better eyes than we do <laughs> something like that anyway and uh, so then I walked Yogi Bear on four pitches and you can't walk Yogi Bear because he's swinging he's swinging high balls every day he's swinging anyway. and then so they took me out they took me out in the first inning but that was the start there but anyway so I was you know it was all uh, kind of old hat after after. Uh, Pitching the first game, starting, starting. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure after a while, you know, but just still, experience it. Was, uh, it was nice to get in. It was, it was not that big a thing in those days as like it is, is today, for sure. You know? Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure uh, nowhere near as many people followed it. You know, uh, anyway. Once again, John Piella here with former major league pitcher Kurt Simmons. Now, later on, you end up, uh, you know, getting hurt, and, uh, if I'm not mistaken, in the 1959 season. And 59, yeah, 59, I. I I, something popped in my elbow in spring training, and they, they sent me to Philly, and I got operated on opening day at the Temple Hospital. So they said I had a calcified bursa sac or something in my elbow. So I was out. So I was back throwing the ball pretty good in, by, by June and stuff, and Eddie Sawyer, was he came back as a manager. He'd been out, whatever, he fired or quit, whatever, but he was managing, and... Uh, he said, uh, I want you to go to Williamsport to get ready for next year. And I said, hey, I'm, I'm pitching pretty good. I'm throwing good. And he said, hey, if I pitch you, you and I both would get thrown out of town because we had a bad club and we were. So I went to Williamsport. I pitched pretty good there, came back. And now in 1960, uh, Sawyer was I was one of the pitchers. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be in there because I had a good spring training. I'm throwing good again. And uh, Sawyer quit. Open the day. He quit. He said I want to live to be whatever his age was. But it, apparently John Quinn was a, he was wow. a general manager and he was telling Ed who who he wanted who he wanted to get rid of who he wanted to keep and what and Sawyer he he was a tough guy. He wouldn't go for it. So he quit. So in comes Gene Mock. So Mock, I pitched, I started a game in Philly, got smacked around pretty good. Next start, I started in Pittsburgh. I, I walked a guy, a guy, a guy here, a blooper down the right field. I had four hitters I pitched to, and they took me out. And and that's, I, I didn't pitch again for the Phillies. I'm sitting in the bullpen, and I don't even get, I don't even get a, a call to warm up or whatever. So 30 days into the season, I'm in San Francisco, and uh, I'm rooming with Robin Robertson. I came in and I said, who got cut? Two guys had to go. 
He said, you got released and, and Chris Short was sent to Buffalo. I said, come on, don't be fucking kidding. No, he said, so five minutes later, Gene Mock was on the phone. <laughs> and I told, him, I told him where to go. I was really mad enough. <laughs> so he came up, he came on the door. He, he saw the toughest thing. I said, hey, say, he get the hell out of here. You, you, you know, so uh, he, he didn't have much to do with it. It was John Quinn that really. So anyway, that's. But that, that's how I ended up with St. Louis. And, yeah, just three days later. I mean, uh, you know, they, yeah, they, they, they picked you right up. I had, well, Solly Hemus called me. I, I knew Solly. He played with us, and he was the manager of St. Louis, and they needed pitching. And, and uh, he, uh, so he said, how about you come to St. Louis and work out? You want to? He said, your arm okay? I said, hey, my arm's fine, Solly. I'm throwing good. And, and so in the meantime, the Cubs were in, in, in Philadelphia, and I called Lou Boudreau, who was managing. I said, Lou, any chance of working out down there? He said, yeah, come on down. So the game was rained out, but the guy named Del Rice was an old catcher, and a bullpen catcher in, so I'm warming up. And, and, and I'm ironing thrown for a couple of days, so I'm throwing good. Yeah. And he says, basically, you're throwing, you're throwing better than anybody we got on our, on our staff. And, and, and of course, so Dr. Boudreaux, he said, well, we got to change this, you know, we got trouble with our staff. We got to move people around. So now Sally Hema somehow heard about it. He called, he called the house and my wife said, he's down the ballpark working out with the Cubs. So he called from the, from the, the visiting clubhouse. I'm, I'm, I'm getting dressed and whatever. And he said, hey, we'll sign you without working out. They the bang the line, the general manager will call you in the morning. And that's how I ended up going to, going to St. Louis. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's amazing, man. And that's yeah. how you know, obviously uh, the Cardinals wanted you and then probably had that fear of losing you because you were working out with another team. And yeah. they'd say, you know what, forget it. Just let's, let's, exactly. let's find a deal already. Yeah, right. Yeah, of course, you end up spending some, some time in St. Louis. You reestablish yourself. The 1964 season comes, and, you know, you get to go against your own mates in a, in a, in a tough pennant race as it gets down to September. The Phillies actually have a significant lead, and you're, you're, you're part of that Cardinals team that's roaring back. Gene Mock's in that dugout. You probably remember, you know, the, the little sit-down meeting where he tells you, you know, you're, you're released. Uh, any of that come to the forefront as you guys are battling back against the Phillies in that pennant race? Uh, not really, except I did pitch very well against them, yeah. and I beat them a lot. You let your arm do the fuck. Yeah, some games I was lucky, and then the guy, they said, well, some of the writers said, well, are you trying harder against the Phillies? I said, I hope I'm trying hard against everybody. I'm, 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 anyway, but uh, I ended up beating them quite a bit, and uh, in fact, we, we had... Uh, Three-game series with the Phillies in St. Louis, we beat them three there. Three-game series in Philadelphia, beat them three. So that's six games that we, we snuck right up behind them because they had a six, six, seven-game lead. Yeah, I think it was a six-and-a-half like yeah, right. play. And, of course, he was trying to pitch the, uh, short and bunning, and, and, you know, he, he messed the whole thing up, you know, by not pitching anybody. Just yeah. giving the guys a little more rest, you know. So anyway, but that's... Man, listen, this is something he's, he's, he's got to deal with, you know. We slot in the back, the back door the last... The last uh, the last day of the season. In fact, I was pitching the last game of the season too against the Mets, and and we had, we got beat the night before, 13 to one, I think, by the Mets. And man, I remember I didn't sleep all night. I was doing over that lineup and just. Uh, and anyway, I I pitched I pitched fair, but I was I wasn't throwing real good. And uh, and I remember a pop fly to right field, wind blown out, and Mike Shannon's playing right field, and and Max Dal Maxfield the second baseman. 
and he's running his butt off trying to get the ball to Shannon Sander. He, he got to come in two steps and could catch the ball, and he anyway fell for a double. Right. And uh, and then the next day I hit a double and they took me out. I think I was losing three to one or something. They brought Gibson in, and of course we scored we scored five runs at bottom of the bottom of that inning, and and we ended up beating the Mets at nine to five. And that's how we that's how we got to the World Series. Yeah, of course you end up getting in the World Series that year against the Yankees. You end up pitching in it, so. You know, contrary to 1950, when you didn't have the opportunity to pitch in a World Series, which obviously wasn't your fault, but it, it, it's still you know something that's probably sitting with you right, for, right. for all these years. You get the opportunity to pitch in the 1964 World Series. Was was that everything other other than not winning the series itself? Was that everything you hoped it would be? Getting the pitch in the postseason? Yeah, well, I, I was I was very very happy to be there, and of course I, I pitched I pitched a heck of a game. Oh. Uh, and I drove in to run. It was it was one to one going into the ninth inning, and and uh, we had two guys on I think, and they, they pinch hit the Bob Skinner pinch hit for me, which which was the right thing to do because he's a better hitter than I am, and he hit one pretty good, but a little to the right center, and they backed up and caught it. And then the uh, Bonnie Schultz came in. He was a relief pitcher, knuckleballer, and he and first half was Mickey Mantle and. Uh, First pitch, I'm walking into the clubhouse. It was a it was a cool, a pretty cool day, and I'm walking underneath, going to the going to the locker room, and I hear this roar, and I said, oh boy, I said you got must have got a hit or a double or something, and the roar kept going, and I said, oh, yeah, that sounds like a home run. Maybe Barney threw him a knuckleball and didn't knuckle, you know, whatever. But we uh, we lost the game two to one, and that was it. And then of course I pitched the, the sixth game. I was pitching fair, but I was losing three to one. They took me out, and uh, and uh, we we ended up getting beat. In fact, Mantle, Mantle and Maris hit back-to-back home runs. Away. Mantle, I hung a slow curve to him, and he hit a little pop fly on the roof, the short porch in right field. But and then Mantle hit a rope the next pitch, right center over over everything. So they, they took me out on that one, and that was so that was my stint in the World Series. Yeah, outstanding. Once again, John Fialli here with Kurt Simmons. Last question I want to ask you. You you had a chance to be part of a pitching staff with Robin Roberts and then later on with Bob Gibson. Right. What would be your biggest thought when you think of the two? Robin Roberts, Bob Gibson. <coughs> well, Robin Roberts was a like a like a piece of engine. He was he was he'd get better as the game went on and uh, he, he was uh, smooth and a good leg drive and good control and the whole bit. Gibson had a better arm and he had good stuff and he was he was he might he might buzz him one now and then just uh, just, keep you just to keep you in there and I remember he pitched to Clemente and he he buzz him the first pitch and Clemente wasn't he didn't want no part of him after that <laughs> you know in fact they wouldn't even play him sometimes against Gibson because uh, he, he he couldn't do it but anyway they were both both great pitchers and. Uh, uh, and they were both, you know, head guys on on the staff, especially Gibson, especially the year 60, 64 he was, and then of course the, the couple of other years after he was still he was as a great pitcher for St. Louis, you know. Yeah, he definitely was. Listen, Carl, I want to thank you for having some time. Appreciate you giving me a couple minutes, and thanks for letting me in at home. Okay, you're quite welcome. Great opportunity there to catch up with Kurt Simmons. Of course, he's always going to be known in the history of Philadelphia Phillies fans as a you know phenomenal pitcher and you know really a nice you know gentleman, a very nice man. He owns a golf course that's in his backyard and 
you know, a very humble guy for all these years. And, you know, you check to see, uh, you know, for a baseball card collector, he's a guy that signs just about everything you send through to mail and in person. The first thing that he said to me was, hey, you have anything for me to sign? So it wasn't even like me asking anything. It was him offering it based on the kindness of his, his own heart. And we're going to put the whole bow on the show right here by going back to talking about Ralph Kiner because, you know, you, you segue into one great man to another great man. And we started a show talking about Ralph Kiner. And, of course, Billy Staples gave us a couple minutes to talk about some of his experiences with him. But, you know, Ralph Kiner, obviously that same type of mantra, the same type of approach the easiest guy to deal with in spite of being so successful. And the same thing you could say about Kurt Simmons. But, you know, one thing that I remember about Ralph Kiner was, you know, some of his mishaps, manufacturers hangover, you know, saying that and a couple of things that I mentioned in the first hour. But I also remember the Mets disclaimer. And the thing about the Mets disclaimer on WWOR on Channel 9 was that it was really long. And you think of all the different ones, you say, hey, you know, you want to make sure that nobody's duplicating the, the content of your show and not making a profit over viewing it in their own home, stuff like that. And that's the reason why they have disclaimers like that. Well, the WWOR one is the one that seemed to go on forever. And at the end, it, you say similarly prohibited was something that Ralph Connor had a hard time saying. And they changed it to likewise and also, and I remember that from being a kid, but uh, one thing that I'll never forget is that disclaimer. And, you know, I'm just repeating it. So if you're WWOR, don't get pissed off. I'm just repeating, actually endorsing you guys for what you uh, what you did and how, you know, watching your network kind of stayed in my heart and my, my soul. This copyright and telecast is authorized under television rights granted by the New York Mets and is solely for the entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, other use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this game without the express written consent of the New York Mets, Sterling WA Enterprises LP, and WWOR-TV is prohibited. Any commercial other use of the program, such as by charging admission for its showing, is similarly prohibited. And I'm telling you right now, I absolutely did not read that. If you ask me right now, I will repeat that for you just as quickly as I could say, Castrol provides maximum protection against viscosity and thermal breakdown. There's just things in my head that are just never going to go away. And that's part of the things you got to deal with. I mean, you listen to Weird Al Yankovic talking about Forrest Gump in his song. You have me talking about Castrol motor oil. Listen, I, 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 got, it. I got it all, dude. I'm going to try to bring it all to the broadcast just so you don't feel like you have too much baseball but big show today i want big thanks to kurt simmons harry warner and carl Duzer for allowing me in their home this weekend and to bring you the passball show on the road we got a uh episode we're going to have eventually we're going to record some interviews in new jersey we got a florida trip we're going to be driving from new jersey and pennsylvania to to florida where we're going to be recording interviews on the fly there as well so stay tuned for a ton of stuff going on with the passball show on the road big thanks to everybody as well as billy staples for obviously collaborating with me on the program helping me out a lot and giving me a couple minutes to talk about ralph kiner hopefully you guys enjoy the program be back with you next week john pielli passball show mtr radio network don't forget check out john pielli.com